Welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rizak. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I'd like to thank a few listeners. I'd like to thank Michael and Teresa Bowman here in Seattle. Thank you. I'd like to thank Jeremy Couts in Longview. And finally, I'd like to thank Jeff Sagalerowicz in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you for your support, my brother. Appreciate it. Playing it safe versus the hero's journey. I think it's fair to say that men are out to have great lives. Sure, each one of us can compromise and play it safe at times. Who doesn't want a safe passage in life? I know I do. Playing it safe is a built-in survival mechanism. It's hardwired into our nervous system. But taking the safe path has its cost. You don't take on the risks necessary for growth. You shy away from your vision and your leadership, and your comfort zone keeps getting smaller and smaller. Alongside this desire for safety is a desire to play the game of life with heart, guts, and verve. Ask any man you know which path is more attractive, the safe, well-traveled path with minimal risk to self or ego, or the hero's journey, full of adventure, risk of failure, and opportunities to exercise your courage. Most men will tentatively ask for the hero's journey. They intuitively know that this is the road with big risk and big reward. And both to us and to women, it's more attractive. And we as men have always admired the men who took the road less traveled. We've wondered whether we were heroic and which path we would choose if given the choice. The fork in the road keeps presenting itself to us. What exactly is the hero's journey? What is at stake for you as a man? What does your hero's journey look and feel like? What can you expect? What tools will you need? What is this great myth trying to teach us, and how do we respond and engage with it? The hero's journey is different for each man, yet there are elements that are always present. Throughout Base Camp for Men, we will be unpacking this and a lot more as we look at ways that men can live more boldly and more courageously. First and foremost, stepping out onto your hero's journey is an everyday choice. It's not something you do once and never have to deal with again. Each day, we are presented with a fork in the road the well-worn path of safety, conformity, and status quo, or the hero's road, uncertain, adventurous, new, and scary. We are asked to develop ourselves in ways that we find uncomfortable, to be more authentic and bold, to love one another in more full-hearted ways, to dare to speak the truth and inspire one another to be our best selves, and to trust the divine to guide us and teach us. To take your hero's journey is to step into a mystery. You have the experience of saying yes to this great adventure and all sorts of allies come out of the woodworks to assist you. The mythic hero's journey that Joseph Campbell spoke of is a collective journey as much as an individual test. How might you develop yourself that would provide the world with a more courageous version of you? The inner work that you do as a man ripples out into the world. The outer reflects the inner. This life is your hero's journey. My guest today is an expert on archetypes and the hero's journey. Carol Pearson is a PhD and author of Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within, which won the Nautilus Award Gold Medal. She's also the author of The Hero Within, which is absolutely one of my favorite books about the hero's journey, as well as Awakening the Hero Within, The Hero and the Outlaw, and many others. Her most recent professional roles have included being provost and then president of Pacifica Graduate Institute, and before that, director of the Burns Academy of Leadership at the University of Maryland. She's also a regular blogger 
for Psychology Today. Here's my interview with Carol Pearson. Carol, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to be with you. This is going to be episode 13. You have the distinction of being the first female guest on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to set some foundational stuff with men's work and the men's movement, which meant teachers and mentors and stuff. But now we're really branching out. We have multiple women coming on, which I'm super excited to get their perspective on mythology, men, masculinity, archetypes, all the different things we're going to be talking about. It's going to, I'm so excited. So I'm really thrilled to have you on. Your book, uh, The Hero Within, it's absolutely my favorite book on archetypes. I've recommended it to gads of people because I feel like it's a really great gateway into understanding this. My first question is, what are archetypes and why are they so important for our development? I sometimes trip over my words when I'm trying to describe them, even in my own workshops. And I end up referencing your book or Joseph Campbell's book rather than having a real good way of saying, this is what they are and this is why they're important. So why are they important to us in our development? Uh, well, I'll start with what they are. Jung explained that archetypes were simply universal patterns, sometimes in the natural world, but most particularly in the human psyche. The archetypes that I work with and many of the times that he worked with were actually characters that recur in literature and in the media and in you and me. There's always a caregiver, the warrior, the lover. There's always a seeker and our explorer. So they show up everywhere, which suggests they're in us. For most of us, if we're trying to understand ourselves and get a sense of our purpose, get a sense of who we are, we know too much. I mean, if we just look at the details of everything we think and do, it's overwhelming. Many neuroscientists now and people who are doing sophisticated science say that the cutting edge right now is pattern recognition, the, abil the ability to recognize patterns. So what does it mean that you like this and this and this and this and this and you do this, this and this? How does it come together? The brain actually makes meaning and order out of reality is to make it into a story. For Jung, he also was aware that the brain does that, but these energies, these archetypal energies that are the whole pattern, the eternal pattern that can be expressed in infinite ways, emerges from the unconscious. And every time that we make meaning by recognizing an archetype in our life, we're also connecting with our depth, with our soul. But the other thing is that we can call on them also. You know, for many men today, you have warrior, king, magician, lover, but there are many, many others. And you can find your individual identity through the archetypes that are just you, that come up for you as an individual person. The seeker archetype, which is a version of the wanderer, is also an archetype that helps us find out who we are. And it comes up in really predictable ways, like I go through the world, I'm always unhappy, I'm always looking for something else, it's got to be better. And every time we say, no, no, not this, not this, not that, I don't like that, but hey, I like this. And it's beginning to help us recognize what we respond to and resonate to in the world around us, which is unique to who we are. 
You think that's the call of the wanderer? If somebody's got like dissatisfaction and they're like, no, not this, not this, it can be kind of like a call out on a journey from the archetypal wanderer, archetypal seeker? Absolutely. It's usually dissatisfaction. Sometimes it's, there's more to me than this. Mythically, it's the orphan who doesn't know that he's a king and finding what's, you know, what's royal about each one of us. But the other part is we can call him up. This is an example from a woman. She liked hero movies with, you know, heroes and villains Mm -hmm. and things like that. And she's going into a meeting with her boss that's going to be difficult. And she calls up her warrior. An example from a man that didn't know how he was going to be with having children because he didn't have a lot of caregiver energy generally. We'd consciously say, calling up the part of me that can nurture and allow him to move into the part of him that's a daddy that he had known before. So you could you could say also, I think you said this kind of in your book, that there are potentialities that could lay dormant for people, but depending on what their journeys are, you can sort of bring them up to the forefront, even though you're like, well, I'm not really a person in that last case. I'm not a man that nurtures. You can find it by accessing that archetype, whether it's the lover or the king or whatever the case may be. And that can give you access to new behaviors, new thoughts, new feelings about the situation. Perfect. Yes. The Jungian idea of synchronicity, of meaningful coincidences, <laughs> is that situations arise in our life on our hero's journey that call up qualities we didn't even know we had. And so one thing is to find out, okay, who are we in our essence or what's essential to us? The other thing is keep growing through life, grow in ways that meet the challenges that we face. It's just like, you know, the hero meeting the dragon on the journey. Only our dragon may be having our house burned down and losing our job, you know? Yeah. So accessing them, is it just take imagination and maybe ritual space? Like, what's a good way to access them? One example, I talk a lot about the hero's journey. I feel like the more that I teach and speak about it, the more my life becomes heroic. The more I say each chapter in your hero's journey is going to require a different version of yourself, the more I fulfill that statement by becoming a different version of who I was 5, 10, 15 years ago. So by kind of plugging into the myth, my life becomes a living example of what the myth could provide for me and for anybody that I interact with around this topic. So it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. I speak about it from my heart. I'd speak about how the people that I know, everyday people, you're more heroic than you know. And some of this I just pulled right from your book, you know, because you wrote so beautifully about, there's a story there where you said that one of your students saw a homeless person. It was really touching. And they shouted out the car window, like, you're not always going to be like this. You're a hero on a, on a hero's journey, you know? And I was like, that is a really beautiful thing to say to somebody that's probably not feeling very heroic there on the side of the road or whatever. And I just thought that's such a beautiful thing because everyday people, I notice when I speak with them about this, a lot of times they don't think of themselves as heroic at all. They are just trying to get by. And I just, um, I don't know. I don't know what you have to say about what your own heroine's journey's been like, how you came to be so passionate about this. Did you fall in love with myth and then all of a sudden all these things happen or what was your tale like and where were the high water marks of your own journey? Oh, okay. But first I'm just thinking we can all shout out the window of our psyche to ourselves, a homeless self, an orphan self. Yeah. You know? 
And when we do, we shift our options immensely because so much of what we live is a story we tell. It's a story that is in our mind about what is happening. A disaster, oh, poor me. Or, well, a new opportunity for growth. And what archetypal energy do I need to have that? Now, for me, I grew up in a quite loving, very traditional family. Raised to be a good little girl and then to do what good little women do. (laughs) Um, There was something in me that didn't like that. The first part of it, as a teenager, I just kind of split off. That is, I had adventures, but I kept them quiet. So I had an image of the good little girl. I think the only person I was absolutely fooling was myself. But then to have some adventures, and teenage kind of adventures. But in college, I was an English major to start with, and I was reading stories. I'd always loved to read and identified with all the characters and the heroism of the characters. And I now know from neuroscience that our brain, it's as if we've lived those things. I mean, if we identify with those characters, we have experienced it in our imagination, which helps have those archetypes already. I was in graduate school in an English department, PhD program, that was entirely about applying Jung and Campbell and others to literature. And then I was home. Oh, I get it. I'm home here. I think when you said something about why so many people don't want to identify as heroes, they think of the hero as better than other people. But all of my work isn't about that, and I I think yours isn't either from what I've gathered. It's really about understanding we're all heroes. They're not the great people, and then there's us. Once we realize that, it doesn't mean to say I'm on a hero's journey and I'm going to respond as a hero. It doesn't mean I'm making myself better than anybody. The ambition turns from greater status and achievement to the greater ability to be who we are and what we're here for and to make choices based on that. I didn't end up staying an English professor. (laughs) You know, I left tenure, you know. It shifts the focus to something that we can control and that no one else can take from us. That's beautiful. In the men's movement, we work, like you already mentioned it, we work with primarily four archetypes, the lover, the warrior, the king, and the magician. And we talk about the hero's journey a lot in that work. And in your book, you've got the warrior and the magician. I'm talking about the hero within book that I recommend. But you've also got four others. You've got the innocent, the orphan, the wanderer, and the martyr. Can you pick and choose archetypes you want to work with? Like I'm kind of attracted to the wanderer. So how would I go about accessing that? Or does the archetype actually call to you? You know, I'm used to working with the four masculine ones because those are the ones that were given to me in trainings and those are the ones that I understand. But if I wanted to expand and start having new experiences with the archetypes beyond those four that I'm now comfortable with, I still learn from them. But if I wanted to pick the wanderer or the innocent and start to work with them, would I need a call? Would it simply be me saying, hey, the wanderer is really interesting to me. I'm, I'm wondering what I could learn by working and activating that archetype. Is it I wait for the call or I'm starting to get interested and that is, that is the impetus to start to work with it. Then how do I access it? And then where do I go from there? Archetypes just come exactly when we just sort of interested in them. They're kind mm-hmm. of in this unconscious going, hey, 
why did you pay attention to that one? You know, of the four that you said that I talked yep. about. I'd say to you that after The Hero Within, I wrote a book called Awakening the Heroes Within with 12 archetypes. It was very developmental. So most of us have an inner and innocent. You can think back to the time that you can be aware of your spontaneity as a child being innocent. And you can be aware of times you felt orphaned then and now. You already have it, but you can recognize it. I mean, I think that's part of it. You can recognize it. You recognize, oh, the innocent part of me can give me a sense of just joy and awe. You know how beautiful the earth is. And the orphan helps me develop empathy for other people and myself and compassion. But to the wanderer, um, generally, we touched on this a minute ago, but the wanderer, which becomes a seeker, which becomes the explorer, <laughs> the call is usually in you. There must be something more. Or yeah. I'm happy where I am. Or I've been really happy, but now something feels like been there, done that. So the call, the call is something you feel. And it can also be a call then following that. The wanderer is just wandering, you know, and having experiences and making decisions about identity and other things based on having experience. The, the seeker often has an external call. The call is, oh, that sounds good. I'd like to try that. Oh, my goodness. Or envy. Oh, I wish I could be like him. The calls are ordinary. But when we recognize that we just stay there and feel unhappy with where we are, or we can recognize that as a call, get going, exploring, and in the directions that resonate with us. But in the Jungian sense, the shadow holds the greatness we have not grabbed, as well as the evil we have not the potential negative things that we have in our character that we don't want to see. Yeah. You see that a lot in, in the men's work and group work where the shadow that a man has been repressing, hiding, denying, when he sees it clearly and claims it, owning projections out in the world, how much power, how much integrative power it has to see, oh, that's just more of my own collective out there. I'm just, I'm pushing out arrogance or controlling whatever the thing is I don't acknowledge about myself, I'm projecting it out there onto these politicians or to the world at large, you know, and it's beautiful because you can see how much it humanizes everyone and how much it kind of integrates the world. It starts to dissolve the boundaries that we typically draw up with our minds. That's not really in our hearts. It's in our minds that we split it like that. Right. And we do it when we can see whatever it is that we don't like in somebody else or that we idolize in somebody else. And we can see how we're like that. You know, it's wonderfully freeing and it does exactly what you're talking about. The degree to which just recognizing when we're scapegoating somebody is, I think, one of the most powerful uses of this because it's easier to see that we're doing that when we maybe are not doing what that person that we're incensed about is yeah. doing, but we're doing something archetypally similar. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And you have a new book. Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. Yeah, is, that, is that out now? or? Yeah, it's out. I actually use a myth in that one. But to keep it related to what your focus is, it's awakening the heroine within, but it's not just the heroine in women, it's the heroine in men. What I do, I use a, I use a Greek story, but the essence of it is to know that for many thousands of years, our gender roles have been fairly set. 
with differences, but in some ways different archetypes have been developed by the people who had to live them to succeed. So I was particularly interested in um, the gender role for women has, has very often, it's been caregiver <laughs> and it's been lover and often martyr. It's also been creator. The reason it's been creator is when women couldn't own anything and were essentially seen as property, they had to get really creative to get what they needed. And even in the generations that came before me, I came sort of through with the women's movement. There was still that. The question still comes. I was at the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum and, uh, you know, the great painter. There was a video where she was being interviewed. She would spend half of the year in the Southwest and her husband, Steve Gillis, was in New York. And the interviewer said, how did you get your husband to let you do that? (laughs) And she looked at him like, what? You're crazy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But that would have been a question that would have been asked. And yes. that one had to get really creative to be able to do what you wanted to do. The origin of the book for me was that I thought the good part of the women's movement has been women have been to move have been able to move into more masculine roles and more masculine archetypes. Archetypes like the warrior, for example, and the king, or I call it the ruler, but um, it's the same archetype. And the advantage of the women's movement has been that women have been invited into being able to act like men. The expectation is if you're a liberated woman, you pretty much do. And that awakened in in women much more of our warrior, much more of our king, um, in the workplace being judged by the standards set by men. All of this has opened up wonderful things for us. But women have also been developing other qualities for millennia that have to do with being caring, being loving, creative in certain kinds of ways, different ways, I think, everyday ways of making life beautiful, fun, making things work without having to, um, figuring out how to get your ideas out there by giving them to a man and not minding as long as they got out there. I mean, there are a lot of things in the women's heritage. And I think they're the things that our society needs right now. And that it can't be, first of all, with the focus on women are complaining about how much multitasking they're doing because they're expected to do what men do. And then a lot of what women have traditionally done and carried that. And that's not true of every family or every workplace, but that's true overall. And what we could lose is what actually got developed over the heritage of women living through what was oppressive, but nevertheless, it was a time that many qualities were developed. And if men act like men and women act like men, we're going to lose some archetypal energies that are very important. I don't even believe in masculine and the feminine. <laughs> They're archetypes. They're just archetypes that have been assigned. I don't know if this question has an answer, but we're at this really critical junction with our society, like the old structures built on the old lower masculine archetypes of dominance, separation, ego, all these different things. They're creaking. And I think there's, I think humanity is starting to awaken to some of our greater potentials. Consciousness is evolving. It's a little ironic to me that in my men's workshops, 
I'm teaching and offering that in the heart is where men need to learn how to be more. We have to be in the heart more. If we're not going to come from the heart, then we're not going to shift this in time. Is there like one of the key archetypes that is, I, I don't want to say the one, but you know, like, is there one that's a really important one right now for people to access? Something that would be really creative and interesting for us as a collective to start to sort of give more energy to or receive more energy from that archetype? What would allow a more graceful shift from one paradigm to the next? What can we help each other with and how can we all get there together? I have a strong opinion about this. I want your archetypes that you're already working with but it's a particular version of it. It's the magician. Because magic happens, and in the Jungian idea of synchronicity and archetypes is all related to this, of having a sense of being connected with animals, with one another, with the universe, and to be in that space from a place that's centered on the heart um, without losing your ability to be logical. You know, and that it is partly that sense of connectedness and care but, you know, the magician is a healer. It also has to do with the work you're doing and the work I'm doing, the pattern mm-hmm. recognition, seeing the connections and the way that connect us with soul. There is a kind of magician that is really not what we need, you know, which borders on con artistry. This is really not that at all. It is feeling so connected and so in the heart, but not in the heart in a sentimental way much tougher kind of love. And I think it's one archetype that men and women have equal access to. And in fact, I have an instrument called the Pearson Mar Archetype Indicator. You find your archetypes. And uh, the women score higher on magician than the men. But the men score higher on ruler, which is your king. What's that tool called? It's the Pearson Mar Archetype Indicator. Can we find that on your website? You absolutely can. That's cool. I'm interested in that. I'm going to go take a survey. I think that's really interesting. I love stuff like that where you can kind of get a diagnostic because it typically surprises you. So what do you have coming up that you'd like to tell us about? I saw that you have a workshop, I think in September at the Jungian Institute in Houston. Yeah, that's going to be different. Usually I present on these archetypes, but I'm doing the workshop on Mary Magdalene. There's all this new stuff. It's not even that new, but it's beginning to get known. Mm-hmm. about Mary Magdalene and her relationship to Jesus, but more important that she was the chief of the apostles and that it was clear that she and Jesus had a love relationship, which doesn't mean they were necessarily sexual. But um, that's, that's pretty interesting to know. And when we think a lot about men and women, particularly in the context of religion, a lot got changed. And I think it's helpful for many people to start understanding that things that they may be told uh, got there from the Roman emperors and not from Jesus. What I'm up to, I have been taking a break from doing a lot of presentations because I've been redoing all of the supporting materials to the PMAI because I learned more. On fall and into the winter, I will be doing um, some courses and online work on the kind of work you do. And I'm hoping at that point, maybe I can interview you. Absolutely. Anytime. That would be fun. Yeah, totally. I would love to have another conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time and your insights and wisdom. Your writing is inspirational. 
It's helped so many people, myself included. So thank you for serving the greater good and humanity's understanding of what kind of situation we're in and what our tools are and our resources are. It's helped a lot in creating space in the narrative and uplifting people. Thank you so much, Carol. I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. I'm glad to know about your work. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Carol Pearson. To learn more about archetypes and how to find out where Carol is teaching, go to www.carolspearson.com. Her last name is spelled P-E-A-R-S-O-N, so that's carolspearson.com. And go pick up a copy of The Hero Within, or one of her other great books on archetypes and myths. Reading them has made a huge difference in my learning curve, so go check it out. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men.